Open your Bibles, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 10. We've got kids in the service this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, parents, you might need to help them along to find their way there. If you've got a Bible, make your way there. I'll be using the New International Version. If you're using the black Bibles in the pew in front of you, uh, page 1261 is going to get you there uh, this morning. Uh, quite a contrast since last Sunday or last week, certainly. Uh, whenever, what, Wednesday, Thursday, it was 80 degrees out. And this morning, we had to swim uh, here. Quite a contrast. It's, it's cold. I think it was 39 degrees in rain. And I have to tell you, this is actually my least favorite temperature. I, I would prefer 20 degrees and snow over 34 degrees in rain any day of the week. Even today, I would prefer that. I just, I know not all of you feel that way, but uh, there's, there's quite a contrast. And many of you uh, came here, there were some of you that came here in the nine o'clock hour and didn't get out of your cars because you just hoped that the rain would stop. And so you sat there for 45 minutes until it stopped and then you made your way in. Uh, there are people this morning who huddled up in their houses and they're still wondering whether they should come in or not. And, uh, and that's okay. Uh, weather does that to us sometimes. But God's beauty and glory is actually demonstrated in both of those weather extremes. I hope that you can see that. And so as we talk about that contrast, we're going to see some contrast in God's Word uh, this morning as well. And we're going to see the contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And, and God created them both. I want you to hear that before we kind of get into things. I'm not uh, coming at this from an angle that says the old covenant is awful. Rainy days are awful and sunny days are great. God created each and every day. And so God has prepared, as this sermon series titles, and as we've made our way through, uh, a better way, a new covenant, a better way of going about things. And that's what we've been doing uh, in the book of Hebrews. Kids, I don't know how many of you, raise your hand, kids and adults, you can help if you need to. How many of you are using your own alarm clock to get yourself up in the morning? Raise your hands with me. There's two of you, three of you. Okay. Our kids share a bedroom. And so with four kids in one bedroom, there is no way we're allowing one alarm clock to wake up that whole audience, you know, at the same time. And so uh, we go and we wake the kids up in the morning. Myself personally, parents, uh, when you use an alarm clock, raise your hands if you hit the snooze button one time. Raise your hand. All right, that nine minutes is a beautiful thing. Uh, keep, keep your hands raised one time. You hit the snooze button one time. Keep your hands raised if you're willing to hit it twice. All right, keep your hands raised if you're willing to hit it three times. You're at 27 minutes now. All right, some of you are holding charge. How many of you would, will push the four times? You're getting over towards four times. Actually, some of you haven't put your hand, like the same group, was one time, four times. Is there a five? Do I hear five? Five times nine, that's 45 minutes, right? I hit the snooze more than I should, I have to tell you. You can put your hands down. Some of you wait until I get to like 14. Um, I'm a, I, I hit the snooze. My wife knows that that's what I do, and it drives her nuts. And I've, I've now set my phone, which is my alarm, at the opposite side of the room. And so that means I actually am getting up like six times, walking to the opposite side of the room, <laughs> hitting the snooze, coming back to the bed, climbing back into the bed, until she's gotten now where she will whisper to me, she says, do you want me to kick you out of this bed? And sometimes she says it gently, do you want me to kick you out of this bed? And the other time she says, do you want me to kick you out of this bed? What motivates you to get up in the morning? 
I stayed uh, Friday night at a hotel. Uh, Dan Davis, the pastor at Renewal Church, he and I went to a, a church planting conference over the weekend. And it is interesting when you're spending the night with someone you don't normally spend the night with, like we talked about ahead of time, okay? Like, how much time do you need in the morning? Who's going to get in the shower first? Uh, how many times are you going to hit the snooze button? What to expect? And I didn't hit the snooze six times. I just got up because you're, you're dealing with someone you're not sure of how all of that is going to work. When you get up in the morning and you face the day, do you start the day and ask yourself, what are your hopes for today? When you look at the beginning of the day to the end of the day, when you start the morning, do you think through the process of what are the goals that I have uh, to reach today? What would happen today if I lived today uh, to the utmost, the way that God wanted me to live today? Do you go through that checklist before your feet hit the ground? Some of you say, yes, absolutely I do. And some of you look back and say, you've got to be kidding me. Am I going to go through that process before I start the day? I, I'm just going to kind of go through the day and whatever kind of pushes me along and whatever circumstances happen through the day, I'm okay with that. I'll just make it through another day. I'd encourage you this morning, this text is going to lead us through and make its way here in Hebrews chapter 10, that there is more than that. If that is your attitude uh, this morning. Uh, that God would create in you and God would challenge you and God would change your mind that actually approaching the day with a purpose for that day is what every man, woman, and child has been called to. And so I don't care if you're here this morning and you are seven years old, nine years old, or 79 years old, God has a plan and a purpose for you in this day. What is that plan what is that purpose? We'll make our way there. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse, I want to give it to you here, verse 24 and 25. It's not in your notes. I'm just going to tell you where I'm headed so that you can see it. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Let us encourage one another as all the more you see the day approaching. That's where we're headed today. I want you to see that that is the purpose of the day. That is the purpose of why we are here this morning. That is the purpose of why I am preaching a message in front of you this morning. John Piper, many of you have heard of him. He's a pastor. He's an author. He's a theologian. This is what he says. Aimlessness is akin to lifelessness. Aimlessness is akin to lifelessness. In the fall, in the backyard, uh, if you've got a large tree in your yard, you rake leaves in the backyard. And it is crazy when you rake them all up into a pile and all of a sudden they just scatter and run in every direction. You don't know how it happens. It seems like that pile of leaves has more life in it than maybe your dog that's running around the yard or your kids that are bouncing on the trampoline. They can actually stay in one place, but these leaves cannot. These leaves just kind of blow in every direction, and you pile them back up, and you try to move, and then they blow in every direction again. How many of you have had this process where you're chasing leaves all over the place? So leaves in and of themselves do not have any life in them. You see, aimlessness is akin to lifelessness. Actually, they are being blown around, moved around, but just because they are moving, they are full of motion, yet they are empty of life. They are full of motion. They're going in every which direction, but they are empty of life. How many of you would say that about yourself this morning? You are full of motion and yet empty of life, empty of direction, empty of purpose. 
John chapter 4, 34, Jesus said, this is how Jesus started his day. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. My food, what he started the day with, his bowl of Cheerios in the morning, he, he ate purpose for breakfast. Like he, he started the day with a motivational direction to say, you know how I'm going to start the day? It is to do the very will of the one who sent me. If you have your bulletins this morning, you have a white sheet of paper that's inside of your bulletin. It's an outline that will carry you through the message this morning to be able to see where I'm headed. Uh, the first statement that I want you to see here is basically a definition of the word motivation. Motivation is a powerful tool. It's what we use to drive ourselves forward. It's what stimulates a Christ follower. So what stimulates a Christ follower into action? Motivation. I served in the United States Marine Corps. And in boot camp, there's something that is a horrible thing. I have to just tell you. And I showed my daughters some of the videos that are out there of like basic training and they just had wide eyes of like, oh my goodness, this is really what's going on. And I was watching, I was like, yeah, oh my goodness, I went through all that. And something called lights, lights, lights. It's morning, wake up, lights, lights, lights. So what happens, lights, 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 Reveille, it's gonna start your day. It may surprise you, but you don't get six snooze buttons in boot camp. Lights, lights, lights means that the drill instructor, particularly early in training, is going to come out of his drill house and he comes out usually with a trash can or something that creates a great deal of racket. And he's not going to just bang on a little bit, he's going to throw it down the middle of the room and you are laying in, your, in that squad bay and you don't know which way's up, what's going on, and you have about four seconds to get online with a skivvy shirt, PT shorts, and socks pulled up around your calves before you even know where you are, what happened, and how you got there, right? Lights, 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 it's go time. And so then what happens is everyone stands in the line, and so at that point, within five seconds after you have woken up, uh, you have to start counting off. And so there's about 100 guys in our platoon, and you start counting off, and the way that we would do it, we would stand, we'd have one hand out, and you would hold your hand out until your number came around, and you would say number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and then put your arm down to stand there, terrified. Why were you doing that? You were making sure that everyone was there, everyone was present, everyone had made it through the night, nobody was uh, uh, missing. So you go down through it, all the way from zero to 100, or however many you had, you just count, 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 count. And you would get to number 35, and 34, 35, and nothing would happen. So the drill instructor would check it out. What's going on? And occasionally there would be one idiot in his bed. That morning he decided, you know what? It's been a rough week. I'm kind of tired. My legs are hurting this morning. I think it would be better for me. I, I think that I could use another few minutes of rest before I start my day. If that drill instructor found that person, now all of us are standing online terrified. You know, if, if you're number 36 and number 35 is missing, you're standing with your arm out going, oh no. Oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. Here it comes. And that drill instructor or multiple drill instructors are released like a pack of wolves to come down 
and destroy this person's life at that moment, at that time, good morning, lights, 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 here we go. That's one scenario. The other scenario, which is far worse, I have to tell you, the other scenario is that the drill instructor decides that he agrees with said recruit and that the idea of him taking a rest is a fantastic idea. And so he's going to come down, he's going to find where he's still in his, in his rack, taking a nap, that type of thing, and he's going to ask the rest of the platoon to please be quiet because there's someone who needs a little bit of sleep. And so we want to make sure that we don't wake the baby. And so now we're going to do a few exercises, the rest of us, but we're going to do it very quietly to make sure that we don't wake this guy up for the next nine minutes or snooze, maybe 18 minutes worth of hell on earth at the quietest thing possible. So now the drill instructor who wants to be quiet and wants to make sure that we don't wake this young gentleman stands there with his fingers up or down and you all pick up your rack and raise it up off the ground and then you drop it down. You raise it up off the ground and drop it down, but you don't make any noise with it. But then he doesn't go up, one, two, three, down, one, two. He goes up, down, up, down, up. And some idiot goes, smashes that thing down. And now we're all in trouble because guess what? We woke up the baby. And if the baby's awake, everybody's awake, and now we're in trouble. And everything comes apart, and everything starts in a very bad way. Now, this day, Wednesday of the week, whatever it is, has started off with a less than desirable manner, if you will. I tell you that story, why? Because fear is an effective motivational technique. It is effective. I do not want this drill instructor in my face. I do not want pain and suffering seven seconds after I've woke up. Why not? Well, next morning, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be awake on the line with my socks pulled up the way I'm supposed to because I don't want to go through that again. Fear is an effective motivational technique. And there are many stories of Marines who after boot camp was long over and they were at home with their families that for some reason someone turned on a light in the morning and next thing you know they jump up out of their bed, they're standing looking at the wall and they don't know why and they've got their socks, their shorts and their shirt on. It's effective. I told you we're going to look at some contrast this morning. And so we're going to start, uh, you've got your finger there in Hebrews chapter 10 and we're going to be there this morning. But fearful is that fear is an effective motivational technique. And we see it in Scripture all the way through. And so we're going to point to a few sections of Scripture of the Old Covenant, the way that fear actually worked to motivate people to follow God. So here's your first fill-in if you're using your fill-ins this morning and that white sheet of paper. Fearful experience of worship. A fearful experience of worship. Worship was motivated by fear. Stand back in fear is your fill-in. A fearful experience of worship, stand back in fear. Take your Bibles, make your way over to Ephesians, excuse me, Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. 
We've got kids in the service today. I've tried to do some things and be interactive with you this morning to keep you moving, keep you engaged. So parents, you may need to reach over there, help them find their way to Exodus chapter 19. If you're using those black Bibles in front of you, it's page 78. That'll get you started there. Let me give you a back, the picture of what's going on in the background of Exodus chapter 19. God has delivered his people. His people were slaves in Egypt. He's delivered them into uh, the promised land through the, the Passover, and, and, but they have not been allowed to go into the new land. They're making their way. They're out of slavery in Egypt. They've been brought across the Red Sea. They are now out in the middle of the desert and making their way towards the promised land. They've not entered that space yet. He leads them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He has taken care of them. He has fed them through manna. He has given them water from a rock to make sure that they are sustained. God has taken care of them. He's delivered them. He has pushed them across. And they come to a place called Mount Sinai, Exodus chapter 19. Look at verse 3. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the sense of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and now I carry you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Verse 5, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. <coughs> So he tells Moses, he says, you are my people. I've brought you out like on wings of an eagle. I've brought you away from slavery in Egypt. And now I want to talk to you here on this mountain. So share that with the people. I want you to fast forward and move very quickly. Fast forward to verse 16 of the same chapter. Exodus 19, verse 16. He's on this mountain. He's talking to God. He is, he is getting the word from the Lord about obeying him, obeying his covenant being a treasured possession. Verse 16, on the morning of the third day, third day he was on the mountain, there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The very mountain is trembling. Do you not think that the people of Israel are trembling at this point? We had a rainstorm this morning. There was a lightning storm last week. A little, you get a little nervous when that is happening. As they are standing there and watching, the mountain is shaking. It's bursting into fire. The whole mountain is shaking. And now the mountain, God on the mountain is talking to you and saying, Moses, and Moses is supposed to respond. What happens is that the people are in awe and in worship, but they are not going on that mountain. Why? Because there's been a separation. Fear is actually what is driving worship. That is the motivation for worship. They are worshiping an almighty and an all-powerful God. And as that mountain shakes and quakes and is covered with smoke, the Lord has descended on it in a fire. Moses is called to that mountain. Moses is going to speak to God in that context. He's shaking in his boots. And the people stand back in fear. Secondly, we have the fearful expectation 
of judgment. The fearful expectation of judgment. The fill in below that is the sacrifice that needs repeating. Sacrifice that needs repeating. So what Moses does, he goes up to the mountain. He receives the Ten Commandments along with a number of other laws that he gets, that God has given him for the people to be able to transfer to the people. And while that's going on, the people lose sight of that mountain. They lose sight of what is happening. And what do they do but they bring their gold to Aaron and ask Aaron to melt down all the gold earrings and necklaces and those type of things and bring them all together and they form this golden calf. Turn over a few pages to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. They form this golden calf. They lose sight of the mountain, of what's going on at Mount Sinai, of Moses meeting with God where they were just so terrified of what was happening and now they lose sight of that and they start doing their own thing. Here's what God says to Moses, Exodus 32, verse 7. The Lord says to Moses, Go down because your people, who you brought out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They've been quick to turn away from what I commanded them, and they've made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They've bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Jump ahead to verse 30. Moses comes down the mountain. Moses comes down and the, the fear that he has of God and of what God is actually going to do to these people he comes off of that mountain and he takes those tablets of the Ten Commandments and he takes them and he comes down. This is what God has handwritten for him for the people of Israel. And he loses his mind and he comes down and he throws those tablets into the, that golden calf and it explodes. It's busted and so are the Ten Commandments. And it says he grinds it into the pulp and into powder. He pulverizes it into powder. And then he makes the people of Israel drink it so that they can never take all that gold again and make themselves another golden image. And so after Moses comes in, much like a drill instructor coming into boot camp and just wreaks havoc, here's what it says in verse 30. The next day, after all of that has happened, Moses says to the people, you have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. The process of atonement, we've talked about this in recent weeks. Atonement, it's still celebrated by the Jews, Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, that perhaps I can do some type of sacrifice, perhaps I can do this again and get God's attention again. There's a sacrifice that would need to be repeated again and again, time after time, year after year, verse 31. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, (coughs) (coughs) Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin. 
and God forgives them, and God gives him another tablet, and God gives him the Ten Commandments and allows him to come off the mountain again. But there was a fearful expectation of judgment that was there. Thirdly, a fearful endurance through suffering. A fearful endurance through suffering as a reminder of all our sin. As a reminder of all of our sin. If you turn over a few pages to Deuteronomy, it's a number of pages actually. Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32, this passage is going to bring us to the end of Moses' life. And he has gone through a tremendous amount of suffering leading these people of Israel. Each time he has led them forward, it seems like one step forward, seven steps back. As he has led these people of Israel, they are murmuring and complaining. You know, the word murmur, is actually, it actually means very much what it sounds like. It's an onomatopoeia. Kids, write that down. Onomatopoeia. Murmuring. That's what these people sounded like. They were murmuring and complaining again and again and always questioning and always asking what Moses was, was up to. And Moses had gone through tremendous amount of suffering leading these people, leading the people of Israel who were very much like you and me, by the way. And he has gone through a tremendous amount of suffering and we get to Exodus chapter 32. It's time now to go into the promised land. And God once again pulls Moses off to the side. He asks him to come to the top of a mountain. For what purpose? Check this out. Chapter 32, verse 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down because the people who you have brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. Excuse me, I'm on the wrong one. Chapter 32, verse 48. Deuteronomy 32, verse 48. On the same day, the Lord told Moses, Go up into the Abiram range to Mount Nebo and Moab, cross from Jericho, and view Canaan, the land, the land that I am giving the Israelites as their own possession. There on that mountain that you have climbed up, you will die, and you'll be gathered to your people, just as your brother Aaron died on Mount Hor and was gathered to his people. This is because both of you broke faith with me in the presence of the Israelites at the waters of Meribah Kadesh on the desert of Zin, and because you did not uphold my holiness among the Israelites. Therefore, you will see the land only from a distance, and you will not enter the land I am giving to the people of Israel. After everything... <clears throat> that Moses had gone through, after all that he had done for the people, after all the times he had gone and pleaded on behalf of the people before God, because of his sin, he would not be entering the promised land. Because he had, had broken before God in one moment in his life, this was going to be a reminder, you will not be able to go to the promised land. After all you've given, all the sacrifice you've made, all the conflict that you've gone through, it's a reminder of all of our sin. So for Moses, for the people of Israel, they learn this process. Fear is a motivation technique. It does work. It is effective. It is very effective. But that's the old covenant. That's the old covenant there is a better motivation, a better motivation. First John chapter 4, 
verse 18 and 19 says this, and you can fill this in. Love is greater than fear. Verse 18 of 1 John chapter 4 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Perfect love drives out fear. Jesus Christ has demonstrated perfect love. Perfect love. Love is greater than fear. Now we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 10 and kind of bring it together. This is what Hebrews chapter 10 is showing us in contrast of the new covenant versus the old covenant. What we live in today, what we live in today because of what Jesus has done. Here's your fill-in, a loving experience in worship. Instead of saying, get back, draw, be pulled away in fear, we say this, draw near in faith. Verse 19, Hebrews 10, verse 19. Hopefully you found your way there. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have this confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. If you were here three weeks ago, Brian preached uh, uh, Palm Sunday, and he gave the analogy of the house and the way that we go to friends' houses, and we, we're allowed to go to certain points of the house, but we're not allowed to go into that master bedroom. And you certainly are not allowed to get into the master bed. And you had better not get under the sheets in the master bed. However, parents, it's Saturday morning, you're lying in bed, and there's nothing more beautiful and special and intimate for your kids to come running into the bedroom, jump on the bed, and snuggle in and climb in next to you. They are welcome to be there. It's a gorgeous thing to have. Your whole family just climbs in the bed and you just cuddle up and you hold there. And that is a beautiful thing. But Bob from your office is not coming into that bed on Saturday morning. It's not going to happen. It says here, a new and living way was opened for us through the curtain that is his body. What Christ did when he gave his body for you and for me. Verse 21, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us do what? Draw near to God with a sincere heart and the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to be cleansed from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. <coughs> we can come to God in a loving experience of worship because of what he has done. We do not have to live in fear. It doesn't mean that the old covenant was wrong. It just means that there is a better covenant. There is a better way. And that way is through Jesus Christ. Secondly, we have a loving expectation for judgment. A loving expectation for judgment. Rather than having a sacrifice that will need to be renewed, we have a sacrifice, here's the fill-in, that will last forever. A sacrifice that will last forever. Chapter 10, verse 30 says this. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. And again, he says, the Lord will judge his people. 31, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The author of Hebrews reminds us. The author of Hebrews points out here, he says, just like you saw judgment in the Old Testament, just like you saw the earth swallow up those who would disobey God, that, that power is there. 
the power that shook the mountain, that quake, that made it, the rocks tremble, that is still there. So it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But jump forward, verse 37. Here's what love does to the situation. Here's how love motivates. Verse 37, four, in just a little while, he who is coming will come, and he will not delay. Verse 38, and but my righteousness one will live by faith. I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back, the one who refuses to follow the teachings of God, the one who refuses to follow his will. 39, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. We do not live in fear. We are not living in fear of judgment because we can put our arms around Jesus Christ because what he has done in love, we can look at that judgment and say, you were supposed to judge us that way. However, because what your son did on the cross, we can lovingly see that you have been put in our place. <coughs> We do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. It is not a dreadful thing because those who have faith and are saved. Faith in what? Faith in our Lord and Jesus Christ. And we are saved. We do not live in fear of judgment because of our loving Savior, Jesus Christ. What he has done and will be done soon, it says we will be back in just a little while. We're coming. You will not delay. And in that process of not delaying, what happens? That sacrifice is forever. Thirdly, we have a loving endurance through suffering. A loving endurance of suffering. We no, have a, no longer have a reminder of all our sin. Now we have the removal of all of our sin. Jump back up. Same passage, verse 32. Chapter 10, verse 32. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you endured a great conflict full of suffering. These, these people, the readers of Hebrews, were going to go through intense persecution. These people of Hebrews were being challenged. Do not fall away. Do not get distracted. And it would be easier for you to do that, but don't, don't get pulled away. Keep your focus on God. Keep your focus on what Christ has done for you. And there were some who had earlier, it says here, days of suffering. They endured great conflict. 33, here's some of the things they went through. Some of you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. This weekend we were in New Jersey for this church planters conference. Good Friday, this year, 2017. One of our church planters that we're associated with uh, through the Frontier Baptist Association is there in New York City planting a church. They had a Good Friday service, and they had a, a part of the service where they asked people to come forward and nail their sins to the cross. And so we had about a six-foot cross with all these things nailed to it. And he's going to take it home so that Sunday morning he could come back and he was going to do something to demonstrate really the beauty of what God does when he washes all of our sins away. And this Hispanic man carried the cross. He literally is going down the street in New York City carrying about a six-foot cross with sins nailed to it. And someone was angry enough to tackle him, take that cross, and beat him with it. And he was able to get out his cell phone before, before passing out and get a picture, a video of the person committing this crime. And he was there at the conference this weekend. 
He had had part of his skull was fractured. He was tremendous pain. But he had a smile on his face because he knew that God was using this to bring himself the most glory. If you think that persecution and pain and suffering is something that we read about in biblical times and it's not going on now, that was Good Friday, right here, in this state, right now. The man who did the crime has been sentenced to seven years in prison, just like that. There was something the matter with him. For some reason, he just snapped and went after him. But persecution is real. But read what it says here. 34, you suffered along with those who were thrown into prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You'll need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you receive what he has promised. What stimulates a Christ follower into action? We are not motivated by fear. We are motivated by love. Go back to verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let us spur one another on. I grew up on horses, and so I actually know what that's like to put on a set of spurs and spur a horse along. Some of your translations might read to motivate each other as we see the day approaching approaching. So as I go back to that question at the beginning, what gets you up in the morning? What gets you up in the morning ought to be to spur one another along. And kids, this doesn't have to be someone in the workplace. You understand that you have an influence on your parents and on your home when that child is spurring along and pursuing things after God that it actually pushes the whole household in that manner. Fathers, as you lead your home, these children that are sitting with you right now, when you understand the responsibility that you carry to spur one another along, to live in love, love is a motivator way greater than fear. You go back to the boot camp story. Across the, the squad bay from me was someone named Recruit Wren. I became Re- Recruit Wren's buddy because he was one of those guys who decided one morning to sleep in in the morning. And so I took it upon myself. I decided, you know what? I am going to make certain that we don't all get in trouble again with Recruit Wren not being able to get out of bed in the morning. And so what did I do? I used a very similar approach to what I'd seen demonstrated by the drill instructor. I went over, and I knew that there was two minutes before lights, 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 and I would grab him and shake him and tell him how awful he was, and he had to get on the line and make sure that we were there because I did not want to do everything again. It was fear-based. And it was sort of effective But I'll tell you what, it made a big difference when I realized and came to grips with this is only sort of effective. When I came in the same relationship and approached it in love, I mean, I didn't give him a hug in the morning. I said, man, I'm so glad you're here. But I did it respectfully. Got him out of bed and said, hey, 
you know, we got, we got 90 seconds before that drone instructor is going through that door and ruin our lives. Let's, let's do this. Let's work on this together. I'm, I'm helping him pull his socks on. And that motivation for him was entirely different than a fear-based motivation. That's the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. So I ask you, when you get up in the morning, how you approach the day, can you approach the day with that, that your approach is that today love will be what motivates me. And I will use this verse, I will, I will try to motivate others to pursue Christ. I'll try to motivate others to see a life of Christ demonstrated. This time we're gonna go into a time of communion and, and we, we read, and those who are helping the communion, you can come forward. We read that communion, that Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. Communion and, and the, the bread itself is a daily reminder to us. We eat each day. We eat multiple times a day. And we have to remember each day what God has done for us and what he has provided for us. Just like when we wake up in the morning to see what our day looks like, a meal can be a way to be a reminder for what God has done through his son Jesus. So here, this is our communion table. And we have kids in the service, and so we do this intentionally so that parents, you can demonstrate to your kids and for your kids what communion looks like. It is your responsibility, if you will, to be able to talk through with your kids. And you may tell them, and it is entirely appropriate, that, that today's not the right day, but I want you to understand what communion is. I want you to understand what the Lord's Supper is. I want you to see what it represents, but I'm not gonna allow you to take communion today. Others of you, you may say, let's, let's walk through this together. If you know that your child knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and that they will understand what this represents, this table represents, walk them through that here this morning. So just like we go to the Lincoln Memorial, or just like we celebrate Memorial Day or Veterans Day, those things are designed for us to, to, to remember something there. So this morning we come to the communion table because it is meant for us to remember. This do in remembrance of me is written on this table, to remember what Jesus did on the cross. And so over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we get the, the structure for how we practice communion together. And the author, Paul, is, is teaching his congregation, teaching his people through a letter, just like you parents are teaching the next generation through your kids here this morning of what this means. And so he says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. So because of that, that's what we're gonna do here this morning first. We're gonna take bread. Here we practice an open communion. What that means is you don't have to be a member of this church, but you do have to profess that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. And so we have grape juice this morning that we will pass around as a, as a token of remembrance for what Jesus did on the cross and how he shed his blood for you and for me. So let's do that together this morning.